Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning again. It's uh, great to welcome all of our campuses together. This is, um, I I mentioned earlier, uh, I have learned this year or learning this year to love Christmas again. It's been a long time. uh, But y'all all all know that my favorite week of the year um, is the week after Christmas and before New Year's. And so we are already preparing for this. Um, A couple things, y'all hopefully got your prayer guides still. In the back of your prayer guides, you will have, there's a link uh, to the personal retreat, uh, which will be available uh, starting on Christmas Eve. We'll make that available to you this year. I think it's gonna be real. If you've not done a personal retreat before, um, just go ahead and mark your calendar. Take some time, it takes about two and a half hours to do it. Um, it will be a game changer for you. Uh, but it's, uh, it's designed to help you kind of finish this year well, to start this year strong. And this year we have created a series of prayers so that you will be actually praying through the time together using what we have learned over the last um, six weeks. And then of course that leads up to what we do is we pick words around here. This is uh, one of my, I have these uh, journals that I use. They're every, um, about three months long. And at the top of every page, I write my word at the top. I think there's nothing that y'all can see that's like personal. Um, But I write my word up in the top and I keep it in front of me all year long and say, God, can you help me see what you're doing through the lens of this word? It beats the crud out of New Year's resolutions and it's been something we've been doing as a church for uh, quite a while. And so we have lots of resources to help you uh, do that. You'll be hearing more about that, but use it, take advantage of the resource on the website. It helps us to frame and to see what it is that God is doing. The, the thing that most people struggle with isn't their commitment or resolve, it's their view, it's what they see. And this is part of why I think what, this, what we're learning in this prayer is so important. And this morning, uh, we're actually gonna be talking about perhaps uh, one of the most dangerous parts about the gospel. And I don't mean dangerous in terms of uh, physical harm, but danger in terms of what is actually prevalent in our culture, the way in which people take advantage of one another and actually harm one another in profound ways. So I recognize that this morning. I want you to sort of walk very carefully with me and I wanna try to explain this as as well as I can as we wrap up. Uh, This is the last service, the last Sunday gathering we will have in 2021. It's pretty incredible to think about. Um, I actually said this morning, this is the last service we're gonna have in 2022. I'm already a year ahead. That feels like what the last couple years have been like, right? Um, so we began, and, and, the, and the goal is, and this is what I found as we've been learning the Lord's Prayer, learning to pray the Lord's Prayer, is this reorientation. And that's what my one word, that's what personal retreats serve, is to reorient you, to give you some perspective and some space to process, to consider what has happened this year, where you have been this year, what you have felt this year, what you've experienced this year, and to see it through a frame of God's grace and God's vision and God's call on your life. And then, of course, my one word is just the, one of the best spiritual disciplines I've found uh, to help me continue and to stay focused over a long enough period of time to actually notice things about that. So I'll stop with that. But the declarations we've made last week, and we're gonna kind of pick up from here today, is the first declaration is that as we think about our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, 
um, and we learn how to see him, what we have to be convinced of, we declare that his presence is more important than his direction, that there is something to seeing him and encountering him and experiencing him in a relational way without needing anything else from him. This is a really important discipline for us to learn. It's the power of personal worship. It's the power of corporate worship. It's the power of remaining still and knowing that he is God, that we don't need him to do anything other than to be with us. The second, and this is a tough one, is that we declare that he will provide everything that we need for everything that he wants. This means we have to get aligned with what it is that he wants. We have to recognize that there's this uh, often, if you're like me, there's a conflict between what he wants and what I want. I often want God to do my will, uh, my way, and he uh, lets me beat my head against the wall as long as I prefer. Uh, but this is the power of this prayer, right? Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us align ourselves with you. We've talked about that. Um, last couple of weeks, we talked about the daily bread. This, this, this idea of God giving us daily bread is not, it's not about, it is about provision, but it's about learning to trust. Then we say, God, you have given me everything you need to do everything that you want. What I'm learning is to trust that his provision for me is perfect, that what I have is precisely what I am learning how to trust him and to steward that really well. And this morning, I wanna turn the corner because it's really one of, the more, one of the more difficult parts of the prayer, I think, and really is what kind of spurred uh, this series. But the deliverance from evil is about learning to live free. Deliverance from evil is about learning to live free. It's not about you not doing bad things anymore. I used to always think that deliverance from evil was me stopping all the bad habits that I had. In fact, when I was a kid, um, I grew up in the 80s, as many of you know, and we had many members-only jackets, if you remember those things. Members-only jackets. With this. I actually have one in my office. Someone gave me one about eight years ago as a gift. Members-only jacket. It doesn't fit, but that's a members-only jacket. And um, we used to wear pins on our members-only jacket. And do y'all remember this? And you were like, if anybody, any 80s people here? And um, one of the pins that I had on my jacket said, lead me not into temptation, for I can find it myself. <clears throat> and a lot of us sort of have this, this thing. I mean, think about what we're praying, right? We said, Lord, you know, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So I begin to think like, what is the connection between these two? Is, is, are we asking God, hey God, don't, put these things in front of me, right? Don't put the brownie in front of me. Don't show me the girl. Don't, don't do the thing. Is that what we're asking? What are, what are we asking him? What is, what is Jesus teaching us to pray? It's this idea of trespasses and forgiveness and then temptation and then deliverance. And so as I began to kind of wrestle with this, this is where I hope that we can get a vision for this. The reason I have kind of you know, said we're trespass people and not debtor people is because debtors is one thing, and, and there are, there's literal interpretations that give merit for both cases, right? Don't, don't, don't misunderstand. There, there is reasons why it's recorded and translated in our Bibles, debtors. The word does have the context of debt. But as I begin to think about this, when someone owes me something and they don't pay it back, if I don't really need it, or if I don't really miss it, it's not hard to forgive that, right? Like if someone, someone borrowed a book from me and they don't give it back, it's like, okay, no big deal, right? You, you keep my book, no big deal. You're, you're forgiven, the debtor thing, you're, you're done. But trespass is different. Trespass means you came in on my space 
And we don't like that. It's one thing to take something and you just don't give it back. It's another thing to cross me. Does that make sense? So when we say, Lord, forgive us our trespasses, as we learn to forgive those who do the same dadgum thing to us, now we're personal. And then he connects it to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we're gonna spend a whole uh, series on this in January about what this idea of fallenness and evil is. It's, it's not just your bad habits. It's something far more sinister and far more subtle than that. It's far more than that. And so what I want for us to do is today as we close our year together to get a vision for forgiveness, to get a vision of what forgiveness is and what it really does. And this has been for my, me personally, my own journey of reimagining what the kingdom of God is and its impact, what it does here and now. And again, this is a dangerous message and here's why, because forgiveness can be taken advantage of. And for some of you, right, some of you, this is, this is the world that you're living in. One of the things I've long said is that where there, where, where there is not a foundation, where there is not a foundation of love, where there is not love, the only thing you really have is manipulation. And that sounds like a harsh way to say it, but if there's ever a sense of insecurity or where you need something or want, need to take something, you can, all, you can do it in the name of love. If you need some surfing time, right? You can clean the kitchen and you do it all. Oh, this is in the name, but you're not, you're manip you're, it's, it's subtle and you may not be intentional. You may, even be, you may not even be malicious, but something is in there because it's always a quid pro quo. It's always, if I do this, then I can do that. And forgiveness often feels the same way. And for some of you, right, you, you're in relationships that you know are manipulative. You are being manipulated and when you hear me talk about this vision of a place where there are no boundaries and there are no borders and we have a kind of intimacy with people where we, don't, where we can't trespass, you're gonna feel guilty that you've had to put up boundaries with people you love because they continue to take advantage of you. And what I'm telling you is keep those boundaries. There's, we did a whole series on this whole idea about defining relationships, define the relationship DTR and how you learn how to provide healthy boundaries. I can't get into all that today. I just wanna tell you, if you're here and you know you're in a relationship where you were taken advantage of and you've drawn boundaries, keep them. This is not what I'm talking about. Others of you, you're here and you are the ones who manipulate. And you've learned how to do this really well. And you may not be mean about it. You may be in fact very charming about it. You use charm, maybe you pout, just enough to get people to do what you want them to do. And you manipulate people. Whenever you use someone's grace for your advantage, that is evil. That is the trajectory from which almost everything else begins to emerge. So I want us to talk about forgiveness in a really uh, sort of frank way, but I, want, I, I don't want you to misapply this. I don't want, if you've created boundaries, you need to keep them and do you have someone to help you process them? If you are one who constantly manipulates people, you don't understand grace or forgiveness. So that's where we're going this morning. How's that for a year-end gig? So it's interesting how Jesus wraps up this instruction of the Lord's Prayer. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is Matthew 6. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debtors as we forgive those 
uh, or forgive us our sins, we forgive those who sins against us. That's how it's translated in, in the New uh, International Version. And then he says this, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then he adds this line, or this is the next verse in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive yours. You know what I do with that when I read it in my Bible? Skip it and pretend like I didn't see it. You ever done that before? Nothing here to see. And what it does, it gives you a gut check, a deep gut check. And you have to start asking yourself a question. What does it mean? Like if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you don't, you're not forgiven either. I began to kind of noodle on this years and years and years ago, trying to re wrestle and reconcile this in my own head, in my own heart. And I, I've been thinking about this because there's, there's a phrase that I use and we'll use it again and we'll use it again and again. But there's a place in which forgiveness is not just the exchange of a scale where if you do something here, you get a tick mark on this side or, or more importantly, when you do a, a confession, you get a forgiveness so that this gets balanced or maybe it gets you know, erased. And so you get to start all over again with this clean slate. It's this sort of exchange or transaction of one confession for one forgiveness. Like God just doles out his grace just enough to cover that. And you go, okay, promise I'll never do it again. And if you do it again, you gotta confess again so that this thing stays balanced. And that's how you keep your sort of spiritual life in order. And they begin to read the Bible. And they begin to read things like that Jesus once and for all offered a sacrifice for all of our sin. You begin to read these things and you're always trying to qualify them with this. Well, how does that work? Instead of maybe saying, this is the wrong system. And it led me to this phrase, and the way I think about this is that we are to live in forgiveness. It's a state, it's a place. It's a way in which we live. We live in forgiveness. Forgiveness has already been granted, already been given, already been paid for. And we live in forgiveness as those who are forgiven. It becomes an identity. I drew it out like this, there, there is a border there is a box, a border in which we live. And this border is what the Bible talk, calls or talks about as a covenant. A covenant, it's a promise, it's a sealed thing. You enter in, the door is shut, you don't get out. The, the, the boundaries of this, it's, it, the way it talks about it, we are in God, we are in Christ. This is all the language of the Bible. There's this place where we reside and it is in love. Right, and I just think this is God himself as love. This is all safely within the care and the intimacy and the freedom of God's love. It, it is everything, forgiveness and the reality of this way of life is not possible outside of life with God, life in God, life in Christ. It is not possible. It's not possible. 
So in order for us to live in forgiveness as forgiven, we have to get in here. This is what I would say is known as a way of life under the rule of God's love. It is life with God. It's, it's all these things. And this would be what you could say is this is the kingdom. And forgiveness, when, when Jesus said the kingdom is at hand, he said, I come to save sinners and I've come to establish my kingdom. What I think he's saying is that forgiveness is what reconciles us back into the way we were intended to live. It reconciles us into the kingdom. That, that's, the, that's the foundation of it. And then out of this, I think what happens, again, I'm trying to give you some, some perspective. Forgiveness is the way in which we operate within the kingdom. The idea of forgiveness, the, the, the literal way to interpret or think about forgiveness is that you owe nothing. For, when I forgive someone, it means they don't owe me anything. They don't owe me anything. If you're forgiven, you don't owe me anything. There is no debt remaining, right? That's where, that, that's where the idea comes from. So it's a way of life. Imagine living in a relationship where you don't owe the person anything. Some of you are going, yes, because then you can get what you want. The problem is they're here and you're here, right? You don't, you don't get this way of life out here. This is why we've got to understand what the gospel does and the power of the gospel. It is for us to learn, you know, to, to live in forgiveness and as those who are forgiven. If it is only a transaction for you, then forgiveness gets weakened. And this is how some of you live in your relationship with God. It's how you live in your relationship with other people. Say, so you're sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, we're good. And then the scales are balanced, but there's nothing, there's still not a, there's not a trust. There's not a, I can trust my soul and my heart and, and this person not to trespass me. I'm safe with them. So this is where we have to get to. If it's just, you know, we think of it as an eraser that sort of wipes out our infractions, but it is a condition in which we live as one who has bought, been bought and who belongs to God himself. We've been reconciled to God. When he says that Jesus on the cross, he was reconciling the world to himself by extending forgiveness for him. I think that a lot of us have grown up with this really casual approach to forgiveness. And the only reason forgiveness gets serious for you is if your infraction is serious, right? If you've done something really bad, then you need big forgiveness. And it's because we have a casual view of what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is perhaps the most serious thing about the gospel. Have you ever thought of that? That for you and I to be forgiven, because what he's saying is, you forgive as we've been, you know, this, this whole concept is that we've got to learn how to forgive other people the way we've been forgiven. And so you've got to consider what forgiveness is. It's really interesting to me. There's a story in the Bible. I've used this before. And I'm probably going to use this at Easter in 2022. But it's in Luke chapter five. Uh, and these guys bring, they have a friend who is paralyzed. And they hear that Jesus is in town in their mind. They're going, oh, Jesus is the prophet. He heals people. We can get our friend who's paralyzed. Get him to Jesus. He'll heal his legs and then we'll all be good. That's, that's the plan. So get together, they get their friend, they bring him there. The house is crowded and they can't get in. So you know what they do? They go up on the roof and they cut a hole. You've probably heard this story. They cut a hole in the roof and then they open it up. And can you imagine, I mean, like you try to like enter into this. Like they're up there and they're trying to calculate where Jesus is. They're like walking around, you know, and like, okay, we think he's here. Now, I don't, man, they're, they're probably arguing about this. And they cut it open and they, they poke in and go, dude, you know, they roll it back 
and they drop their friend in. So Jesus is speaking and teaching, and then here comes this dirt, and then here comes this dude. Jesus looks at him and says this. You know, they're, they're up there high-fiving. Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has made you whole. And they're going, what? Jesus. It's not his sins that are the problem. It's his legs, in case you didn't notice. Right? Jesus looks at him, and he forgives his sins. Then there's a bunch of religious leaders standing around there going, who is this guy who forgives sins? Who does he think he is? Blaspheming like this. And then Jesus asks him a question. He says, which is easier? Which is easier? To forgive his sins or to fix his legs? If he posed that question to you, what would you say? He's God who created the, everything. Which is easier? From our perspective, it feels like it's easier for him to forgive his sins because you just go, yeah, you know, your sins are forgiven. You're sleeping under the rug. But to do a miracle like his legs would be like super impressive. And what you begin to see is how our view of things and how God's view of things are just really different. What, what Jesus knew is that he could heal his legs with a word. Take up your mat and walk, which is what he did. But to forgive his sins was going to cost him his life. It was going to cost him the separation from his father on the cross that God Right, that, that, that God knew he was going to endure. There was something, it was the most serious thing in God's economy that he was coming to do. And forgiveness, and this is where I want for us to go, is it undermines evil and it enables us to enjoy the freedom that has been made available. If the gospel really is this, in John chapter 20, this is, uh, after the resurrection, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. John chapter 20. Uh, this is right before. Uh, so Jesus has just been crucified. He's revealed himself to Mary Magdalene and some of the women. And the disciples saw him killed, knew they were in trouble. And so they're holed up in a room. They're terrified, as you can imagine, because everything they thought was going to be now seems uh, gone. And I love this because it's really interesting when you kind of read the Bible and you just kind of let yourself enter in. You, let, you, know, you see some things a little bit differently. We're talking about a way of life inside of this place. On the evening of the first day, John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus comes and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. Now, he just kind of showed up. They're there, the door's locked, and there he is in their presence. And he's like, peace be with you. They probably, he probably scared the bejeebies out of them. It's it just a note, when, when you're reading the Bible, there's all kinds of like um, clues and drips of this new way of life and this new creation. On the first day, of the week, which was for, this was the first day. This was the day in which God said, let there be light in the darkness in a way. This is the first, it's, it's all, this is all in there. He says, peace be with you. 
Verse 20, and after this, after they picked themselves up off the floor, he showed him his hands and he showed him his sides and the disciples uh, showed him his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord, as you can imagine. In verse 21, and Jesus says again, and peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. This is, this is also a commission. As I have been sent, so I am now sending you. Now, this is really interesting. And with that, he breathed on them. It's kind of weird. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you're reading that, what would come to mind? If you're reading that, you're trying to get your, your, your brain around this. What, what kind of pops in your head? Genesis chapter two, verse seven. And God fashioned the man out of the dirt. And he breathed into him the breath of life, the spirit. And he became a living being. And what you begin to see is all this sort of imagery comes to life, that Jesus comes in and he invites them and he breathes into them. He breathes on them, the Spirit, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And the next thing that he does, if you forgive, look at this verse 23, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven, but if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And here it is again, and you see this multiple times in the Bible. And I, I'll tell you, I have, I have tried to overlook this um, a lot. And the reason is because there are people who I don't want to forgive. They don't deserve my forgiveness. And I don't want to think about me withholding forgiveness from them as a means for which I can't get the same thing from me. Do you get, do you get that tension? And so what I try to do is I try to will myself to be kind to someone. I try to will myself to forgive someone. And what you have to do is you have to do the hard work to say, Lord, can I reside in here in such a way where I can live as though this person owes me nothing? Not an apology, not a confession, nothing. It doesn't mean that the relationship is reconciled. Because in order for us to have the kind of relationship where there is no trespass, it can't happen with one here and one here. It can't happen with two, it can't happen out here. It cannot happen anywhere but safely with inside God's love, his person, who he is. This is what the gospel does. And the way in is forgiveness. So here's, here's where I want to get to. So this activity of forgiving and being forgiven is the activity of the new creation and it is the activity, it's, the, it's the, uh, the origin of the new creation. Your forgiveness is when you become a new creation and forgiveness is the way in which you continually participate in that. It's where we learn how to live in these places where there's an intimacy with God, that there is no hesitation or restriction. You don't feel like you have to justify or to prove or to convince him that you're serious this time. You don't have to promise him that you're never going to do it again. You simply have to trust in what he has done. It's interesting that what Jesus did on the cross, it's almost the reverse of what happened in the garden. 
in the garden, you know, Adam and Eve, their sin was exposed and they hid. And what God did in that is he comes in and they, he covers them. And the same thing happens. Jesus takes the exposure of our sin and then his grace covers it. What we tend to do with, with our view of justice and punishment is we want to expose everyone and then um, just sort of make sure that people feel mired in their sin. And a lot of our confession, a lot of our approach to sin is like this. We do this, we say, go and think about what you've done. And what you mean is go think about what you've done until you feel so guilty that you're moved to come back and apologize to me and realize how good I am to let you back in my good graces, even though you've done what you've done. And we just want people to feel guilt. And what we end up doing is we measure God's grace by how guilty we feel. And the problem is that the human heart when you do things long enough and you run a direction hard enough, you, you will get some hardness in your heart. And for you to feel guilty the way you think you ought to is gonna take more and more and more self-inflicted punishment and sabotage. So you just keep punishing yourself until you can finally feel guilty enough to feel worthy enough to come to him. Do you know what Jesus said at the inauguration of this covenant? When he stood on the, or when, he, when he was nailed on the cross, what he said is, Father, Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. The prayer was a prayer of forgiveness that would avail and allow us to confess, not in order to get forgiveness, but in order to understand that we have already been forgiven. When he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, he was inviting us into this place where you cannot trespass because there is no border or boundary. And this, this isn't you trying to work it out with your friend or your spouse. This is you understanding what God has done and your response to that. Your response to that. If you knew that you were already forgiven, how would it shape your view of sin? How would it shape your view of your own sin and sin patterns? Does it make you feel a little bit better that you can now get away with a little bit more? Right? You don't understand the gospel. It does something different. It's far more powerful than that. When Jesus said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, I think what he was asking or availing for us is that we would be led in a way of deliverance, which is fundamentally out of bondage. Everybody in here who has struggled with a sin pattern, you know that it isn't freedom that you feel. It might be enticing for a moment. It might feel illicit for a moment. It might be, feel fun for a moment. But you know after that, there's this terror that comes over you that you're stuck and you can't do anything about it. And Jesus says to deliver us. It's the way of deliverance, the way out of bondage. And I think the temptation is often for us to feel like we're getting what we deserve in our sins until we sort of feel badly enough and then we can bring it back and get grace once we've done it. And God just comes to us and he invites you to come to him. This is an invitation to receive something from him that he has already made available to you. I wanna kind of sit down and just read to you a couple of passages. We're gonna just make, a, I think, one of my favorite declarations in song. And I want you just to consider that there's a way for you to live as though you have been forgiven. As though you have been forgiven. 
You don't, you don't owe anything. How free would that be for you to just come to him? I remember in my high school days, my college days, I remember very vividly struggling with all kinds of sin patterns. And I don't know if I'm the only one who's ever had sin patterns that I struggle with. Anybody else? And I would read these passages. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, in whose spirit there is no deceit. And I would promise to do better. I would promise to do better. God, let there be no deceit in me. I'm gonna do better. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and you didn't, and I did not cover my iniquity and I will set all confess and my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And I would promise to do better. What I was doing is I was getting one little bite of forgiveness for one little bite of confession. I was like, God, what is this? Why do I keep doing this over and over and over and over again? And I would read all these passages in my quiet time and try to make myself feel guilty or feel worse or really it's hard to feel worse than I already did. I felt like I wasn't a Christian, felt like I shouldn't, you know, all these things would come in my mind. If you take these verses and you read them as though something has already happened, your confession isn't to get God to do something that he's like reluctant to do. Your confession is to trust and to believe and to receive that what he has done is actually sufficient without any of our effort. Blessed is the one whose sin is forgiven. If you keep reading, you'll see this Psalm 51 and it just goes on and on and on. If I can find it. I know my transgressions and my sin are always before me. Against you I have sinned and I've done what is evil. And you are right in your verdict and you're justified when you judge. God, would you have mercy according to your love? Would you blot out this mess that I'm in? Cleanse me. Create in me a pure heart. Create in me. The forgiveness is this act of creation and renew a steadfast spirit. Continually do this. Don't remove me from your presence. Don't take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy. And then perhaps one of the most sweeping ones. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Let me not forget his benefits, who forgives sins, who redeems me from the pit who crowns me with love and compassion, who satisfies my desires with good things. The Lord is compassionate and he's gracious and he's slow to anger. He abounds in love, he will not always accuse. And I love this, he does not treat us according to our sins the way they deserve. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great, is the love of the Lord for those who fear him. 
This is about seeing him and worshiping him and declaring to him that he is our God and his presence is sufficient and his forgiveness is enough. And he says this, so far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Some of you have a better memory than God does, right? Is it, do you, do you see how this feels like it could be too good to be true? The beautiful thing about the gospel is he has made a way for us to live in forgiveness, like a place where we do not owe him as one who is righteous and full and whole and free. And we learn how to live that intimately with God Right? We freely begin to give that to one another and we experience this place that I believe that the forgiveness holds for us. You cannot withhold forgiveness and live in the place that is governed by forgiveness. We learn how to do this in the most intimate of ways. He has already done everything that we need. He invites us to walk as he leads us in this path of deliverance out of the bondage that sin holds. Father, I ask that you would meet us. And when we think about forgiveness, we often wanna pause and reflect. I just, you have done it. Give us faith to receive it. And God, we don't do anything but show up, but come. I pray that this declaration that we participate in, that we uh, say would be sort of an, an anthem for us to recognize that we get to go in the forgiveness that we have been given and to begin to work and learn how to live in that reality with one another. God, give us discernment and give us patience and give us care, give us protection, all the things. But God, would your kingdom come on earth in our little space, in our little relationships as you intend for it to be. So God, we come with all of our mess, with all of our fears, with all of our dreams, we come. We will heed your invitation as you lead us, not into temptation, but you deliver us in the fullness and the freedom that you've promised. And ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Let's stand together as we declare this as we close our year together.